0: Welcome to the Victory Family Worship Center podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thevictory.tv at gmail.com. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're watching online, you can access our app and get all the notes and um, everything that we're doing today. We're in a series called Spiritual Warfare. And, um, I just kind of want to go back, and I'm going to reiterate some of the stuff so that you have a firm foundation of what this series is about. We're trying to identify the real war that we're in, and uh, there's a real war that goes on in the life of a believer, and it's not in the natural, but the war is in the spiritual realm. We've been talking about this for about three or four weeks, and, and in order to do battle, you have to learn how to do battle in the spirit. And so I, I, I try to exercise caution for those of you that are tuning in online. Maybe you guys here, if you haven't been with us for the last two or three weeks, um, you know, we're going to say things like demons. We're going to use those kind of words like demons and demonic and, and the devil. And, and when we use the word spiritual warfare, a lot of people weren't they didn't grow up hearing these kind of words. And so for some people, it's new. Uh, but if you pay close attention, you'll see that the Bible is filled with scriptures on this subject. And so, when Jesus came onto the scene to redeem uh, man in the new covenant, Jesus defeats Satan, and Jesus wins back the authority that mankind had had been given, mankind had been given the authority, and we lost that authority in the Garden of Eden, we traded that for sin. And so, Jesus comes back, and now in the new covenant, uh, God gives that authority that over Satan, back to us, the church. We have the authority now. And so God expects us, the church, He expects us, the church, to live out that authority and to carry out His authority here on earth. It's God's will for us to, do, to dominate in the spiritual realm. So Paul's writing this book in Ephesians, chained to a Roman soldier, in, in prison, falsely accused. He's imprisoned... During a very historical time and a very historical terrible time when the earth, uh, you, know, uh, you know, when it, it was a very bad time when, when, every, when Rome was, it was, a, it was the dominant empire, Roman empire was, and it was run by an emperor named Nero. Nero was a crazy guy outside of his mind. He was in bondage to sexual immorality on all kinds of levels. Uh, Nero was a homosexual, he was a pedophile, he was a heterosexual he was married, he was uh, practicing sexual immorality outside the marriage boundaries and and he killed Christians just for the fun of it Uh, Rome was a very immoral culture at the time so much so that that the empire started to fall and it was losing its power, Uh, Nero was losing his grip and so Nero makes this Decision in this particular season of time That he wants to change Rome He wants to tear down all the idols Of different gods that they had been worshipping All around the city Because Nero wanted to replace those idols and those statues With idols and statues of himself Because he feels like he is in fact God Nero has this God complex And he wants to erect statues of himself so Nero goes around to the city council and has some meetings. And he said, hey, I want to tear down all the statues and I want to put up statues of myself. And they refused him. They said, no, nope, not going to happen. So Nero gets very upset and he goes out and he orders the people that are under his command to burn the city down. Just burn it down. Burn everything. Maybe you've heard the phrase, Rome is on fire, Rome is burning. That's where this came from. Uh-um. So Nero burns it down and he takes the actions of just burning this whole city down. And then what he does is when it's on fire, he blames it on the Christians. Nero says, "It's hey, it's the Christians' fault. It's their fault. Those Christians have done this terrible tragedy to Rome. So now Christians, when Paul wrote this book to the Ephesian church, to the Ephesians, you know, he's writing this book and it's within the... Confines of this Roman Empire, this Roman world. And the Romans are very upset with Christians. That's why they were putting them in places like stadiums and having them mauled by lions. They were burning them on crosses and uh, they would light Christians on fire so that they would light up the darkness and light up the pathways. And they just did this. They persecuted Christians. Paul was in prison at this time, about to be beheaded. Peter was also persecuted during this time. He was hung upside down on a cross. And, and so there was, there was all kinds of turmoil going on. And Paul is chained to this Roman soldier. And he's writing to the Christian world. He's writing to us. These Christians are under incredible, incredible persecution. Unlike you and I have ever seen. Yet. Yet. Every day Christians are being murdered, they're being killed, and Paul is trying to make them strong, spiritually speaking, in the middle of this chaos. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Remember, remember right here, in the midst of this persecution, Paul's chained to this Roman soldier, falsely imprisoned for something he didn't do. People are being tortured. They're being killed by the Roman government. And Paul is saying to these Christians, he's saying to the church, hey, Your battle's not with the Roman government. Your battle's not with the Roman leader, Nero. Your battle's not with the people of Rome. Your battle's not even with people. Paul is saying your battle is with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places that are affecting these people. In our society today, you have to understand that our battle's not with the national government. Our battle is not with the President of the United States, whoever that may be. Your battle's not with the deep state. Your battle is not with the unbelieving Christian world. Our battle is with principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places that are behind all these people, that are using people. That's who our battle's with. And then Paul says, so put on the whole armor of God, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, in which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now we're going to stop right there and that's where we're going to stop in the scripture. We're going to talk about taking up the shield of faith. We've talked about the belt of truth. we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. we talked about the shoes of peace. And now we're going to talk about the shield of faith. Use the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts. What are fiery darts? You have to understand in this day and time when they went to war, the enemy would... Shoot arrows. They were. They were. He would shoot arrows, and those arrows had. Com, they were. Com, they had combustible material on them. Combustible flames, and those dark, fiery darts would explode in the enemy's territory, and catch all things on fire. And it would just. They would. You imagine thousands of these darts coming, and they're on fire. And when they hit, or they landed, it would just. The fire would spread. This is a symbolic representation of how Satan attacks Christians. How he attacks people. This is his strategy. He shoots a dart. He shoots a, a thought. He shoots a lie. And it lands in your territory and it brings chaos. And it brings turmoil. And it brings fear. And Paul is trying to reiterate to us, the church, that the battle's not with the guy behind the arrow. Uh, It's against spiritual wickedness. The battle is in your mind. The battle is in your mind. Everything that goes wrong in your life, uh, that causes great distress in your life, is always filtered through the way you think. And the Bible says, as a person thinks, they are that person. So obviously, the if the battlefield is the mind, the number one target of Satan, the devil, would be your mind. They did a study on the millennial generation not too so long ago. This is pre-COVID. It's worse now. The millennial generation, anxiety issues at an all-time high. I mean, it's just it's out of the roof high anxiety kids taking medication for their anxieties people kids stressing out uh, worried about things worried about life uh, just not being able to handle the pressures of life even right now suicides at an all time high and Different states and different places, and because of lockdowns and shutdowns and the unknown, depression's at an all time high. And people are trying to battle these anxieties and depressions and all of these different things in the natural, instead of understanding that the real battle is in the mind, the real battle is in the spirit. The battle is in the mind. And if you're struggling with something right now in your life, whatever it may be, such as sin or just lies of the devil, here's what I know. Somewhere in your life, what happens is we give an open door to the Satan to come into our mind through things that we read and things that we hear. The lies of the enemy will come into our mind. And basically, once Satan gets into your mind, his goal is to form to, to build strongholds in your mind. And to set patterns of thinking in the way you think that would cause you to live a life bound by a stronghold instead of living living free. So let's talk about the devil for a minute so you understand. The word devil in itself comes from the Greek word diablo. You've probably heard that before. It's two words actually, diablo. The word dia means it's the idea of Penetration. And then the second word, balo, it comes from the ideal of of blows. Blow, 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 blow. And so when you put the two words together, the, the devil, it's this idea that the devil comes at us and attacks our mind, penetrates our mind with blow after blow after blow until he gets in. Let me give you an example. One of the most obvious Illustrations, or one of the most obvious examples, would be pornography. You're watching something on a computer, and, and in your mind, you're thinking, you know, oh, it's just me. I'm the only one viewing this. I'm the only one seeing this. You know, I'm doing this in the privacy of my home. Nobody's getting hurt by this. I, you know, I, nobody's around, and you just watch it. And so we begin to form this. We begin these form this thought process in your mind. That creates lust, and if you keep watching it, if you keep staying, staying, stay inphyxiated with it, eventually it forms a stronghold in your mind and an addiction to pornography. It's—I mean—that's it, just an example. It's the same way with drugs. It's the same way with food. How many? How many? You know, how many of you like food? I mean we all have some, point, some form of addiction or a stronghold in our life That we may not know that we're battling with it But we're battling with it And we're trying to break free from habits Something that's controlling us for a long periods of time Food is probably one of the biggest biggest ones in our lives Because we don't think food is a sin But one of the biggest things Christians struggle with is gluttony Can somebody say amen? Or oh me? I mean, we're addicted to sugar, we're addicted to carbohydrates, we 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 know it's not good for us. We try not to eat it, but we can't help ourselves. Man, Pastor, I just got to have my one Coke for the day. For me, it used to be my one Dr. Pepper for the day. I got to have it, you know. Just got to have it. Got to have that. Got to have that fixed. Somebody put a piece of blueberry pie with me with a big old scoop of ice cream. Mm, I'm trying not to eat it, but you stick it in front of me, I'm going to eat it. And so this is what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness which causes us to accept seemingly unchangeable situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. We're trying to lose weight. We just can't seem to stop eating, though. We're trying to stop drinking. We just It's impossible. I can't stop. I can't seem to stop. I, had, I just can't get over this. We're trying to stop... From lusting, I just can't stop this, I can't stop this. So these situations seem unchangeable, seemingly unchangeable. People battle them for years, I just can't break this, I can't stop this. And it's something that controls us and it, it, it's in our minds and it's a stronghold. And if we can break free from strongholds, we can live a life of victory. Paul even writes this letter in 2 Corinthians 10.3. He said, for, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons that we have, have divine power to demolish what? Everybody say it out loud. Demolish what? Strongholds. So there's weapons that are designed to demolish strongholds. And demolish arguments and thoughts and every pretensions that set itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient, Christ. Those arguments, those thoughts, those pretensions—those are fiery darts of the enemy that comes against, uh, that, that are fired at you. That sets itself up against the knowledge of the Word of God. What would it be like if we all have the mind of Christ controlling us? That'd be good, wouldn't it? That'd be awesome. Paul said in Romans 2, 12, 12 this is important. This is important that you know this for the rest of this, this, this time together. Do not be conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed. Everybody say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you need to understand something about your mind. When, when you give your life to Jesus... When you come to salvation and you say, Jesus, I want you to come into my and be the Lord of my life. I want you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. The change that takes place in that moment is your human spirit is born again. That's what happens. Born again means to come alive. And now the Holy Spirit and your human spirit are working together in harmony together. Now you're empowered as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Your spirit is now being is now brought to life. Now listen to me carefully. Your spirit's going to live forever. Your spirit's no longer going to die. But your body will die. But your spirit doesn't die. Your spirit goes to heaven and when you and the Bible teaches us that your spirit goes to heaven and eventually you'll receive a resurrected body. But your spirit, that is the real you. That's the real you. I live in a body. I have a mind. But I am spirit. We're, we're made of body, mind, and spirit. Body, uh, and so I live in a body. I have a mind. And I am a spirit. The real you is not your body. The real you is your spirit. That's important to teach me because we're so body conscious as believers. We worship our bodies. We grow up and most of our life is fashioned around our body and our mind and not our spirit. We're very body conscious. We live to please our bodies. We feed our bodies. We have sex with our bodies. We do whatever we want with our bodies. And when our body tries to tell us to do something, when, when, let me rephrase that. When anybody outside of our life tries to tell us not to do something with our bodies, we argue with that. We fight against that because we want control of our bodies. The main argument for the pro-abortion, pro-abortion side is, it's my body, it's my choice. And the pro-life point of view is, is a biblical point of view because the, the Bible says that your body belongs to the Lord. When you're born again, your body belongs to the Lord and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you're, you're not the boss of your body. You, God is the boss of your body. That's the whole ideal of Christianity. Bringing your body under the submission of God. That's why we have so much contention over abortion and Roe versus Wade. Because it's not people. It's it's principalities. Principalities of the rulers of darkness. have have, they're, They're the governing demonic authorities that have created strongholds in the minds of people. Principalities, not people, have divided a nation over this very issue. And you see, your mind... Your mind is trained from the time you're born. Your mind is trained by your family. Your mind is trained by your friends. It's trained by your education. It's trained by what you read. It's trained by what you watch, what you play, where you go, what you do, the friends you hang out with. All of those things shape your thinking into thinking like the world thinks. And when your spirit's born again, your soul... And your mind, your will, and emotions all have to go through this process of transformation. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Meaning that there's a, there's a process of renewing your mind. That a lot of Christians don't ever go through. They're born again, but they don't go through the process of their minds being renewed. And I'm going to explain this. This is where the conflict comes in. This is where the battle is. When you start to renew your mind... I'm a born-again Christian, so now I'm starting to get my mind renewed. Now all of a sudden, my my mind, my old way of thinking, that old man comes in conflict with, 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 with what the word of God says. So there's a battle in the mind. This is where the battlefield is. And Satan wages war in your mind, Satan attacks your mind. And uses it against God's word. And Paul is saying you have to have the shield of faith to quench those fiery darts. Fiery darts are those thoughts that come at your mind that disagree with God's word. Those thoughts that come and set themselves up against the word of God. Those thoughts, those lies that that, that make you quit believing the word of God and discontinue the word of God. And so there's a three-step process in order for your shield of faith to work and quench these fiery darts. There's three things that need to happen. And number one, if you're taking notes, you can write these down, but this, these three things have to happen in order for those, that shield of faith to quench those lies and those fiery darts. Number one, you have to believe God's word is true. You have to believe God's word is true. Let's say that together. Everybody say, God's word is true. Word is true. Okay. Okay. So, very simple statement, but how many of you believe that today? I mean, how many of you believe God's word is true? Raise your hands, let me see, how many of you believe God's word is true? Okay, and, and I know you raise your hands because that's the right thing to do and you're in church. And, <laughs> and we do believe God's word, but I think from time to time, we're not recognizing in our own lives as christians where sometimes we disagree with god's word there's sometimes we disagree with god's word and it happens like this when you start this process of transformation renewing your mind because you have a certain way of thinking that's been in, that's been building for 20 years 30 years you've been trained you've been informed you've been shaped And all of that thinking goes against the word of God. Romans 8 says your mind, your natural mind is at enmity with the God. Your natural mind fights against God because your thinking has been shaped by the world. So I'm going to read some scripture to you and I'm going to explain how this has happened. I'm going to take you all the way back to the 1950s. I wasn't alive, but I'm going to take you there. I want to I I I show you something. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, I'm reading out of the amplified version. You say, why the amplified version? Because it's amplified and it speaks louder. So listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. You were following the ways of the world in which you once walked. You were following the ways of the world, influenced by this present age. Take note of this right here. Influenced by this present age... In accordance with the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient, the unbelieving who fight against the purposes of God. Among these unbelievers, we all once lived in the passions of our own of our flesh, our behavior governed by the sinful self. Indulging the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under the sentence of God's wrath just like the rest of mankind. Now I want you to notice what Paul says that we're influenced by the present age in accordance with the prince of the power of the air. Okay? So this concept comes from uh, it, it's a Greek concept, and it's, it's, this is, there's a specific allotted time or a season where a spirit of that particular time and season influences society and influences the way society thinks. So, perfect example would be the transformation, the transition that happened between the 1950s and the 1960s. If you were alive back then, which I don't think any of you were, <laughs> I was scanning the room, um, if you were alive in the 1950s, you will look at the way, if you, if you looked at the way people looked in the 1950s, it was completely different from the 1960s, completely different. You can go back and look at pictures and videos and stuff like that. In the 1950s, most people had short hair, everybody was clean cut. Girls had little bobby hairdos, and, 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 and they wore little sweaters and white shirts and straight-legged either jeans or black pants. and Very simple clothing. Very simple clothing. You didn't have walk-in closets back in the 1950s. If you've ever lived in a house that was built in the 1950s, the closets are very small because they didn't have a lot of clothes. They just maybe had a few items, uh, white shirts, black pants, a few, few shoes. That was about it. And then the 1960s come along, and the spirit of the age begins to influence the youth culture of that day. Shifting young people away from the styles of the 50s to a new emergence style that we, you know, the style of the hippie. 1960s, you look at the 60s, and all of a sudden, we don't have short hair anymore. All of a sudden, we have long hair. Everybody has long hair. Uh, uh, You know, now uh, all of a sudden, um, we're going to rebel against all of society. We're going to rebel against government. We're going to do things different. Long hairs, loud shirts, loud clothes. Instead of wearing simple clothes, it's tie dye shirts, it's bell bottom pants. Uh, uh, You know, we're not wearing regular shoes. Now we're wearing sandals, and we're even going barefooted. That's what happened in the 1960s. Sex, drugs, rock and roll was ushered in and we have this complete rebellion to laws, rebellion to government and to all of society. And it was a season of time to where the the youth culture was just swept up by the influence of the age, the prince of the air. Now what's scary is this, the people of that age are the people that are currently in the government running our nation right now. They were the youth back then. Now the seventies come along and we now there's a new spirit that comes in. And now we there was a guy by the name of John Travolta and he makes a movie called Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> and he ushered in the disco area. I'm not going to give you any of my disco moves, but that he, th- there was the whole disco area. And, and now instead of wearing crazy hippie clothes, now we're wearing leisure suits and, and and tight shirts. And and the shirts are buttoned down, clear down to our belly button. They're opened wide up, and we we have gold chains. We have new hairdos, and we might even be you're in. A, if you're a man, you might even be wearing an earring now. <gasps> Was unheard of in the '70s. That was that was trendy in the '70s. Now they got them everywhere, <laughs> rings, in everything. Everything's disco in the '70s. The music discos. They have all these disco dancing. To, they, you know, we're listening to the BGS. You know, the people like you know, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. I know Dusty does. He's probably the only one. <laughs> but then, right in the middle of the '70s. Something else happens. John, Travo- John Travolta makes a new movie called The Urban Cowboy. Now we're all going to country and western bars and we're, we gave up disco. Now we got, now we're no longer interested in disco. Now we're at the westerns and we're doing line dancing and everybody's wearing cowboy boots and hats. Fast forward to the 80's. The Prince of the Air, the spirit of the age. The 80's, the decade of greed the decade in this decade it's all about money it's all about success this is the reagan era everybody's all about making big time money and we started to we we start to uh, live a life in the 80s in this decade of charging everything on credit cards and we're living beyond our means buying houses we can't afford buying cars we can't afford faking it until we make it and even creating in the 80s there was this whole image created of prosperity in the church all prosperity, blah, 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 blah. And then, then, then you move right into the millennium, the new millennium. I, I'm, I'm going to skip the 90s. Go right into the, <laughs> right into the millennium. And according to Paul, the world has been so influenced by the present age in accordance with the prince of the power of air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient, the unbelieving, who fight against the purposes of God. And you keep going into the new millennium and everything has shifted from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Everything has shifted in the way we think, even about sexuality. Now we're confused. We don't even know who we are anymore. In this current society, we don't know who we are. Am I a man? Am I a woman? I feel like a woman. I must be a woman, even though I'm a man. So I'm going to go into the woman's bathroom because I feel like a woman. And if I'm a woman and I feel like a man, I'm going to go into the men's bathroom. Is that not what's going on in our society right now? Can I just say at Victory Family Worship Center, if you're a man, go into the man's restroom. If you're a woman, go into the men's restroom. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we'll do things God's way. I mean, now we have homosexuality, we have transsexuality, we have pansexuality, we have gender fluidity. Uh, people can't figure out who they are. We're talking about the battlefield in the mind. So what we do is, we take the word of God and we throw it out. We throw it out about sexuality. Sexuality. Because our mind hasn't been renewed. We have self professing Christians all over this place. Their minds haven't been renewed, so we throw out the word of God because it doesn't line up with what we think about sexuality. And we make up our own rules. We make up our own rules about how we feel and about how our body feels. And let me just throw this little uh, trivia in there for you history buffs, that whenever you study empires that have fallen, you, you can tell when an empire is in its final stages of decay right before it falls. It happens in every empire down throughout history. You go look in the history books. What happens is when it's in the final stage of decay before it falls, is sexuality becomes so perverted and the people become so confused that the... That empire is in its last stages of decay. And that's what's happening in America. And when we got Christians and we got churches standing up and saying, this is wrong, we're persecuted for being intolerant. We're persecuted because we're telling the truth. And if we don't stand up for truth and we don't call truth and we don't call uh, God's word what it is and call sin, sin, this world, this our, this empire, what we know as United States of America is going to fall. So we have to decide as believers of Christians that calls on Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. We have to decide, do we believe what God's word says? Will we believe what God's word says over what we think and how we feel? That's the crossroads we're at. Everybody's at that. You have to come to that place. Do you believe God's word? John 17, makes John, in John 17, Jesus says this. Uh, he said, I'm coming to you now, but I say to these things while I'm still in the world. I say, I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have a full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. So in other words, what he's saying is there's animosity in the world against the word of God. For they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even though I am not, even though I am not of it. <coughs> then it says, the point is, is, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is once you get saved, once you start your journey with Jesus Christ, you have to make a decision. God, your word is true, even though my feelings don't agree with it. Even though the way I think and the way I'm wired in my mind doesn't agree with it, your word is true. I'm going to give you another example. I've talked about this several times in the last few months. But let's say we have a believer, because it, it's, it's, it happens all the time. It happens right here in this church. Let's say we have, there may be somebody watching, we have a believer They believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they have a same-sex attraction. This person says, well, I'm attracted to the same sex because I was born this way, with this attraction. That's the argument. But the person's been born again. So they read the Word of God that says God is not in agreement with that lifestyle. It It doesn't agree with it. God's Word doesn't agree with that lifestyle. In fact, God calls it a sin same sex attraction it's one of the sins that's listed in the Bible <laughs> so God calls that a sin so the person's asking so this, this believer this born again believer it, it, it is they're, 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 their mind is one way and they're reading the word of God and all of a sudden they're saying well why do I feel this way then I'm a born again believer why do I feel this way the reason you've been you feel that way is because you've been born into a sinful nature Your spirit's born again, but your mind's not being renewed. Your sinful nature can go all over the place. You can, I mean, your sinful nature can be heterosexual sin. Your sinful nature can be homosexual sin, bisexual sin. Your your natural body and mind can go anywhere you allow it to when it comes to sexual orientation. Your mind can go anywhere you allow it to. That's why Jesus said you've got to be born again. And then your mind has to be renewed. You have, you, you have to conquer the way you feel. If you can't conquer the way you feel, listen, I'm a heterosexual. I'm I attracted to the opposite sex. And when I got married... I was still attracted to the opposite sex. I was still attracted to all kinds of uh, women outside the marriage. But when I all of a sudden I'm married and I'm reading the Bible and 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 even I'm starting to say, well, being attracted to opposite sex and it's outside the boundaries of marriage, that comes in conflict with the way I've been raised and with the way it comes in conflict with my thinking. So when I came to Christ, that was a barrier. Listen, I had to get over that barrier because I was born this way. I have sinful desires. You have sinful desires. We all have sinful desires. The only way you can conquer sinful desires and conquer the way you feel is you have to be born again and your mind has to be renewed. Are y'all following me? It's a process and unless you're born again that process wasn't changed. A lot of times we like to change people's mind before they're born again. (laughs) That's what the church like to do reprogram you but you gotta be born again first. You can't change your behavior patterns of sin unless you're born again. And once you're born again, you have to let let the Word of God renew your mind. Because the world's going to lie to you. The devil's going to lie to you. Those fiery darts are going to say, well, you were born this way. If it makes you feel good, then do it. And that goes against the will of God and the Word of God. It's not God's will that you should live in sin. But that you should be sanctified I just read that to you in the scriptures And the only way you can be sanctified Is by the word of God The truth Jesus said if you abide in my word And you are my disciples Indeed you shall know the truth And the truth will set you free I already explained this in the previous weeks um, um, But there are two kinds of truths There is your truth And there is the truth Or there is a truth And the truth Your truth is what you believe. It's how you've been wired. And when you acknowledge Jesus as the Lord and Savior, you're saying, God, I believe you know more than I do, and I believe you know better than I do. And so I'm going to submit to your truth. That's why it takes humility to accept Jesus Christ. It's acknowledging that you don't know as much as God knows. And so I submit my truth, my way of thinking, the way I've been taught for years and years and years, I submit that to the truth. Which leads us to the second step of faith, the second step of the the shield of faith. You have to believe God's word is his will. You have to believe God's word is his will. This is where it's all going to start getting dicey, this is where it's going to get challenging. You not only believe God's word is true But you believe God's word is his will This is important to faith If you want faith in something And you want God included in it Faith begins where the will of God is known I've said this a thousand times over 15 years uh, Knowledge produces wisdom Wisdom produces faith If you don't know the will of God This is going to affect your faith in what you believe Romans ten seventeen says faith cometh by hearing and hearing cometh by the word of God faith come by hearing hearing come by the word of God the word of God is faith builds faith so you can pray all day long for something but if you don't know it is God's will you're going to have a tough, tough time having faith for it a lot of people are just they're hoping and praying you know a lot, been, a lot of us have been taught in churches, just, just pray, 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 pray without season, pray, 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 pray. And Jesus is saying, quit your vain reputations. Faith begins where the will of God is known. The will of God is the word of God. Listen to me, hear me out. So every time you put the word of God in, you're putting the will of God in. And when you put the will of God in your heart, When you pray, you pray the will of God and you're praying the word of God. 1 John 5 says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, not our will, His will, He hears us. I, I was sick this week. At the beginning of the week, I was sick, 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 sick. Man, I sinuses and just congesting, stuff like that. And, and literally, I, I, I go in my bed. I lock myself in the bedroom and I lay on my bed. And I, I pray the word of God out loud over my life. I pray God's will. It is God's will. It is God's will. This is God's will. I don't pray anything according to my words. I read the scripture and I make those my prayers. Uh, you know, and, and this is the confidence that I have. When I'm approaching God with my prayers, that whatever I ask for, according to His will, He hears me. Now, listen to this. This will shock some of you. Having you know, God's not listening to every prayer. (gasps) Pastor, what are you talking about? Literally, there's millions and millions of prayers and prayers. and, And listen, there's millions of prayers. That have nothing to do with the will of God. A lot of prayers have to do with. Your will. So many people are praying their will. Trying to get God to agree with their will. (laughs) That's why a lot of prayers go unanswered. We don't understand. Does What you're praying for, line up with the will of God. Does it line up with what God's put out, laid out in his scriptures? You can have confidence that if it's his will, God is hearing you, and you are praying his will, and if it's his will, it's his word, God hears you. So when you know what the Word of God says, you have faith and confidence that He's hearing you. Uh, And so whatever we ask, we have this confidence. Whatever we ask, we know that we have asked Him according to His will, and He hears us. Let me give you another example. Let me talk about healing for a minute. Let me talk about healing. Let's just take take the example of healing. At some point, we all have to deal with sickness, infirmities at some point. And I don't have time to preach a whole message on healing but, you know, healing is an extension of life. Ultimate healing is when you get into heaven and your body's made perfect, but I don't have time to get into all that. But, but, but at some point, you have to deal with sickness. At some point, you have to deal with sickness to the point where you're really going to have to use your faith. When you get sick, when the doctor tells you that you have an illness, that's a fiery dart that's coming at you. And it scares you and it scares us the report of the doctor it scares us it can be fearful something bad's going to happen the doctor says you got this the doctor says this is happening and it scares us it's a fiery dart it's a lie of the enemy and you're you know you're just going to have to live with this and this is what's going to happen and you know you start counting your blessings yada 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 it's something that puts fear in you and fear is the opposite of faith fear is the enemy of faith So Satan uses that like a fiery dart to come and steal and kill and destroy your faith. Satan tries to produce fear in you with a bad report about your physical body. So now you have to make a decision. Your doctor gives you a truth that you have a sickness. But then you read the truth Isaiah 53, Matthew 8, 1 Peter 2, verse 4. You you read these scriptures. So now you have to make a decision between your truth and the doctor's truth and the truth. The truth can set you free. But a truth can bind you up and make you a slave and make you afraid. And in the Bible, when you read all the documented healings in the New Testament... There are 19 documented healings, 19 times Jesus is healing people miraculously, 19 different stories of healing. Jesus healed many different people and many other people and many more people, but we see 19 of them documented in the Bible in the four Gospels. And when you study healing in the Bible, when you look at Jesus, how Jesus did and what he did, of the 19 healings, 13 of those healings, Jesus said their faith made them well. It doesn't say that Jesus sovereignty, sovereignly heals them or chooses them amongst all these other people. The Bible says they had the faith to be healed and they were healed when Jesus came upon the lame man. For example, Jesus said, hey, do you want to be healed? That's a stupid question. Of course he wants to be healed. Why would Jesus ask that question? Because Jesus wanted to know if the man believed that he would be healed. Mark chapter 5, there's a woman with an issue of blood and she's been sick for many years and she spent all of her money on all the doctors and she never got better. She hears that Jesus is a healer and she hears that Jesus can heal her and she she knows that Jesus would heal her and she knows that Jesus can heal her. Let me ask you guys this question right quick. How many of you believe God can heal you? How many of you believe God can heal you? Let me tell you something. Just like this woman with the issue of blood, there's a big difference between God can heal you and God will heal you. There's a big difference between those two. Everybody believes God can heal them, but not necessarily know whether God will heal them. That's where we have our faith struggles. The will of God is the word of God. Whatever the will of, word of God says, that's the will of God. And if it's God's will that you be healed, then you can be you can be healed. This woman's pressing into Jesus. There's crowds of people, and she says with her mouth, If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. So she touches the hem of his garment. Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd. You Go read Mark chapter 5. Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd, and he looks around and said, Who touched me? The disciples are dumbfounded. They're like, that's stupid. Jesus, everybody's touching you. There's thousands of people touching you. We don't know who touched you. Jesus is a superstar, man. Everybody wants to touch him. And Jesus realized it, and he told his disciples, says, no, 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 no. And somebody touched me, and when, it, when they touched me, it caused the virtue to come out of me. Thousands of people touched him. Thousands of people wanted to be healed. But only one person drew the virtue out of him. Lord, let me be when I come to Jesus that I draw the virtue out of Jesus. And Jesus turns to this woman and and I want you to see this. Jesus did not say, even though many people teach this, Jesus did not say, it is my sovereign will to choose you amongst all these other people. Jesus did not say that. Jesus said, woman, your faith has made you well. Because see, that puts the responsibility back on me. I have to use my faith and what I believe about the word of God. 13 of 19 documented healings, Jesus said, it was their faith that made them well. Not a preacher's faith either. There's something about a person that God will pass by through thousands of people. that are hoping and praying uh, to get to that one person who believes his truth is not a truth. And so there's a whole lot of other aspects of healing. You know why some people don't get healed and why some people do get healed. That's a whole other sermon. That's a whole other series on that. It's hard for you to believe if you don't put the word of God inside of you. It's hard for people to believe to be healed if you don't put the word of God inside of you. God's word is God's will. And then number three, this is the final one. This is where it's going to rock your boats right here. Uh, if you guys want to come to music or just George or whatever, I don't care. Whoever's got to come. This is the third one. So you have to believe God's word is true if you want to block those fiery darts. You have to believe that God's word is true. You have to believe God's word is God's will if you want to block those fiery darts. And then number three, you have to believe that God's word cannot fail. You have to believe God's Word cannot fail. If you want that shield of faith to work and block those lies and block those thoughts, that means whatever happens in your life, we have weapons to fight those circumstances in your life. It's called God's Word. And you have to believe it can't fail. If you have faith in God's Word and you know it's God's Word and it's not your will, but God's will and it's his word and it's a weapon, then God's word cannot fail. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass. God's word cannot fail. I'm fixing to rock your boats here, right here, y'all ready? Let me read you one more scripture. John fifteen-seven says, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, you will ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And there's something to that too. How many of you believe in God's word? How many of you believe God's word can't fail? Okay. So I'm going to say something just real briefly and I'm going to end. But it's going to make some of you a little upset maybe. Y'all ready for this? Don't be offended by the word of God, okay? Okay going to tell you what the Word of God says. Is that alright? Everybody say that's alright? Okay? It's me telling you what the Word of God says. Don't get mad at me. I'm not the one making this up. I'm just going to tell you what it says. Some of you may or may not like it. Some of you probably like it, but some of you you're not going to necessarily agree with it. Here's the bottom line.
1: This is how you
0: know you believe God's Word cannot fail. I want you to think about some of the biggest challenges in your life when it comes to the Word of God and believing God's Word for it. Some of the biggest challenges in your life right now. I've already talked about healing, so let's not let's, let's that's a big challenge. People are sick, people need healing. I, I get that, but I believe one of the biggest challenges that believers come in conflict with over their thinking versus God's word is the subject of money. The Bible talks about money more than anything else in the Bible. 2,250 verses in the Bible talks about money. Uh, Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the Bible. Um, Jesus said this in the book of Matthew. He said, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven uh, where moth and rust corrupt. Thieves break in and steal, but lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. So when you look at your life, what you do with your money, how you use your money, how you invest your money, how you give your money, uh, all the things you do with your money, how much of your money invested, how much of your money is invested in heavenly things, eternal things, and how much of your money is invested in earthly things, worldly things. The Bible says where your treasure is there your heart will also be. And then the Bible says you cannot serve God and money at the same time. So here's the number one way that you can tell whether or not you believe God's Word is true. This is the only tangible test in the Bible where you can figure out whether you believe God's Word is true or not, whether you believe God's Word is His will or not, and whether you believe God's Word cannot fail or not. This is it right here. You ready for it? You tithe to your local church and you're faithful. Is it possible that you can go to church and you can love Jesus and you can worship him and praise him and believe in God, but not tithe? Because something in your mind has convinced you, I don't need to do that. I'm only preaching this because I've lived this. When it comes to the subject of money with believers, the word of God clashes with what we've been taught about money. And if that's you, you need to go back and read the word of God and let it renew your mind and renew your thinking. Because in the book of Malachi, God is trying to get to the Jewish people to come back to him. And he says to the Jewish people, hey, return to me and I will return to you. And they said, well, what do we need to do? The Jewish people said, what do we need to do? And Jesus said, well, first of all, you've robbed me. Jewish people said, how have we robbed you? And God said, in tithes and offerings. And he said, so bring all your tithes to the storehouse. Please hear me out on this. Don't tune me out because I'm talking about money. The tithe is 10% of everything where we've been increased in our life. That's what they did in the Bible from Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. 10% was the increase. Whatever you increased in your life, 10% of that goes to the storehouse. What is the storehouse? That's where you're spiritually fed. In essence, that's the local church. It's no different if you're watching online. If this is where you're getting spiritually fed, your tithe belongs to the local storehouse, Your spirit, your spirit, the local church uh, that feeds you spiritually, that's the storehouse. And if you say today, well, I don't have a storehouse, that's a problem. Everybody needs a storehouse. Everybody needs to be serving in a local body, a local church. Get involved, get plugged in. If you want to be obedient, you want God to honor your life and God's blessing to be on your life, serve him. Your storehouse is not the poor person on the corner of the street. Your storehouse is not the orphanage in a third world country where you send your money to. Your storehouse is the local church. Your offerings can go to those places. But your storehouse is the local church, and the Bible says that's where the tithe goes. Now, I understand. I'm prepared for this. I understand people thinking you know well pastor you know i've been in churches and man i don't like the way they handle money and i've seen preachers just take up offering and just they blow it on all this stuff and and you know and it's just so we can pour into their greed and all that and yada 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 i get all that but listen to me you're not in one of those churches i'll say that online i'll say that publicly you're not in one of those churches just just get that in your mind because look at the fruit in this place Look at the money that we pump into the community. Look at the places where we support. Look at the missionaries we support. Look at the local endeavors that we support. The local things in Parmer County. If you don't know what we support, come and sit down with me and I'll tell you how much money goes out to support missionaries all over the world. To support pregnancy centers. We, we support missionaries physically. Uh, we've got missionaries in India. We've got missionaries all over the world. And, and we we pump into the community coats for kids and, and backpacks and all of these things just look at the fruit okay don't get caught all up in that and th- this message is not about money either if you're if you think this is about money you're missing it This message is about trying to get you to believe that God's Word cannot fail because I know what God's Word says. And God's Word says if you tithe, God will open up the windows of heaven and He will pour out blessing on you that there's not room enough to receive it or contain it. God says, God's Word says, I will rebuke the devourer, that's Satan, and there will be no waste to your seed and your money will not be attacked and you'll have the hand of God on your money. That's what the Word of God says, and the Word of God cannot fail. The Bible says you bring the first of your increase into the house of God. If you want to be under the blessing of God, you have to believe God's Word is true. God's Word is His will, and it cannot fail. Now, here's the battle. Here's the battle that goes on. Let me illustrate this. The battle's in your mind. Because the battle is, well, pastor, I'm having financial problems. I battled this. I battled this. I I was a Christian. I was serving. I was in youth ministry, and I wasn't tithing. You know why? Because I was so consumed in credit card debt. There was no way I could tithe. We couldn't afford to tithe. Serious consumer debt. And when God got hold of my heart on this teaching right here, listen, I literally gave myself out of debt. That goes against our thinking, I know. (laughs) That's not how you've been taught. The battle's in the mind. We'll even try, I even tried to find, and people will do this, they'll try to find excuses not to tithe. We'll go Google something online and it says, well, that tithing's for the Old Testament and it's not relevant for today. Not relevant in the New Testament. You're gonna hear people saying, then it's just not for the Old Testament. It's no longer for today. Again, go back and read the Word of God, because when Jesus teaches on giving in the New Testament, Jesus teaches us on a higher level. It's no longer about giving. Now it's about the even. It's about the heart, because Jesus teaches about sacrificial giving. Now it's over and above the tithe, and He talks about sacrificial giving. He talks about living to give now. Because Jesus knows that with, when, he has hold, when he has a generous heart, Jesus knows if he can get it through it, then I'm going to get it to them. Jesus knows that if I can get it through you, then I'm going to get it to you. But he ain't going to, he ain't going to get it to you if he can't get it through you. The problem with America is we've realized that money can buy us stuff and the commercializing of America has stolen our affections away from God and we've become materialistic. I've been there. That's why I'm preaching this. That's why God says if you tithe, it will start breaking the materialistic curses off your life. Amen? So a person who tithe, when you tithe, every time you tithe, you're making a statement. I believe the word of God is true. I believe God's word is your will. I believe if I tithe, my finances cannot fail. The word of God cannot fail. I've never in my life not seen tithing work. And I've done this for 15 years. And if you if you've never tithed and you want to start tithing, you come sit down with me. We'll make out a plan. I've said this a thousand times, and I'll say it again. I'll stand behind it. You make out a plan with me, and you tithe for 90 days my way, the biblical way. And if you're not blessed at the end of 90 days, I'll give all your tithe back. I'll stand on that, and I'll stand behind that. People, you know, people come to me sometimes, and they'll grab me in the lobby and say, Pastor, I'm tithing, but it's just not doing any good. Well, listen, you're probably not doing it right. I guarantee you. Either you're not tithing faithfully, everything you're probably tithing only when you feel like it, or maybe when it's convenient, or maybe when it's but you're not being consistent with something's going on. When you're consistent with your tithe, it breaks that curse off your ground that curse that was put there by Satan all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Tithing breaks that curse and it creates a fertile ground it creates a place it creates a home it creates an atmosphere where you're blessed the shield of faith believes god's word is true it believes even though it goes against your thinking god's word is his will even it even if it goes against your thinking god's word cannot fail No matter what the enemy throws at me, he can't hurt me because God has protected me. I have that shield of faith against those lies, against those thoughts. Stand with me. I want to pray with you for just a moment.